Officer, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet, I am Matthew Galt and this is Cyber. We all love a good chatbot, some nice AI art, and a pleasant automated system. Artificial intelligence is here and these fancy decision trees are making our lives easier every day, without a human ever having to lift a finger. Except, that's not exactly true. AIs require an incredible amount of human input to train. AI art doesn't make nightmare reality without scanning over millions of human-made images, and Meta's content didn't learn how to moderate itself without a human first telling it what to look for. So, who are these people who teach AI, and why do we never hear about them? With us here today to answer that question is motherboard writer Chloe Shong. It's the subject of her new feature, AI Isn't Artificial or Intelligent. Chloe, thank you so much for coming onto the show and walking us through this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I think kind of central to this story is, uh, I think a word a lot of people have heard, and maybe they don't really make the connection about what it is, a mechanical Turk. What is a mechanical Turk? Yeah, so Mechanical Turk is an Amazon-owned crowdsourcing website that allows people to sign up and get uh, compensated for different tasks that are commissioned by you know companies and academics who want uh, to anything from you know a survey being filled out to an AI um, their AI data being labeled. And can you what does where does the name Mechanical Turk come from? I think it's a pretty good image that'll kind of. Uh, underlie a lot of what we're talking about today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the name is extremely fitting. So Mechanical Turk actually comes from an 18th century um, chess playing machine. Um, And at the time, this Mechanical Turk was said to be, you know, an automated chess player. Um, Competitors could play the Mechanical Turk. And um, but it was found out that, you know, this Mechanical Turk actually had a person behind it playing chess. So it was a complete facade of automation. And I think that's a lot of what's happening today is that big tech companies like to say, you know, our AI systems can completely run on its own. They're completely self-sufficient, where actually a lot of, you know, individual people are there filling the gaps of this work. And what kind of, do we have any kind of ideas Like if you want to hire a mechanical Turk, what kind of stuff are you having it do? Yeah. Um, So the people who use mechanical Turk are referred to as Turkers. They're the workers who sign up for this platform. Um, And from the people that I've spoken to who use this platform as, you know, one of the the main source of their income, um, they say that they've been doing a lot of AI work lately, which means companies send um, tasks related to AI labeling data annotating, whether it's like, you know, um, looking at an image and marking where a tree is, like a box and telling the AI what these things are, or also um, something that is a bit more taxing, which is called content moderation, uh, which is where workers have to sift through a lot of not safe for work and traumatic images um, in order to eliminate them from these AI systems. So they're not, you know, generating these images in the long run. So to be clear, it's not just Amazon that is doing this, right? Mechanical, we 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 get, pay a lot of attention to Mechanical Turks because I think a lot of people use them. They're in the news, um, but other companies build AI systems on an unprecedented amount of human labor, right? 
Yeah. So actually, um, all the major big tech companies use a, a lot of outsourced labor. So companies like Meta, Microsoft, Google, Apple, et cetera. Um, and they use companies that are primarily located in the global South. So whether that's South Asia or Africa um, in countries like Kenya and um, companies that people might've heard of include like iMerit and SAMA. So the, the cell, one of the big selling points of these AI systems is that this isn't supposed to be happening anymore, Mm -hmm. right? Like all of this human labor is supposed to have gone by the wayside and we're using AI systems to do content moderation, to uh, do all these little tiny like data analysis tasks. Why, when you peel back the robots is, are there people underneath? Why does this have to be, why does this need to happen? Yeah. I mean, I think what people, you know, fail to realize is that AI systems don't, have the same nuance and the same grasp of, you know, ideas and concepts that humans do. So whether this means like racism or, or, you know, issues like that, like these AI systems only know how to replicate or duplicate or create output based on data that we've already created. They don't know that, you know, someone breastfeeding in an image is not sexual. It's very hard to kind of create these social implications through the AI system, which is why humans have to regularly, um, you know, include their own input into it. Right. It's, I think content moderation is a really good one to focus on here for a little bit because it is an area where things are so nuanced and it, it, it does seem like, and I'm, this is maybe not how the, the way it works, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like an image of uh, uh, breastfeeding mm-hmm. comes up, uh, somebody, some human has to say at some point, this image is okay. Mm-hmm. Um so the AI then knows every time that specific image comes up, it's okay. But that mm-hmm. is not the only image of breastfeeding out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the AI is really bad at extrapolating from that first choice that all of the other breastfeeding images are okay. So mm-hmm. every time one's uploaded, a human has to come in and say that this is okay before the AI knows that it's that it's clear, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So the AI can only recognize nudity, for example, but to say, you know, all nudity is bad is very blanket and doesn't genuinely encompass what these images represent to us as a human viewer. So why does it need, well, I guess why, what is the sell then? Why do these tech companies make such a big point of saying that the human element has been cut out? Yeah, I mean, I think these tech companies really want to uphold the illusion that technology innovation is extremely efficient. It's extremely progressive. It's, you know, creating these tools that no one has ever seen before. Um, But the reality is that a lot of these tech companies operate as like this kind of global supply chain. So whether you take a look at fashion or agriculture or food, things like that, I mean, there's still this kind of outsourcing of work where a lot of these low paid um, foreign workers are being exploited, their resources, their kind of labor um, in order to uphold these systems. And of course, this is not glamorous for tech companies. They don't want people to see them as having this kind of power and balance and having to use all of these workers. They really want to be 
uphold this kind of, you know, um, Silicon Valley image. Yeah, in a certain, it's mostly outsourced, right? These are contract workers maybe working for a third company that has a relationship with the tech company so that the tech company has a certain amount of remove. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's easy to say, you know, these aren't employees of Apple, for example. These are employees of iMerit. And also the regulations that, you know, apply to these countries are different from the regulations that apply to American citizens. So it's really easy for these bigger companies to find cheaper labor to exploit kind of like the unregulated labor practices in these countries and create poor working conditions. Can you tell me what are the main countries where people are doing this work and what are the working conditions like? Yeah. So, um, iMerit primarily source, sources their workers in India and SAMA, another really big data annotation um, company that partners with Meta, sources their workers in Kenya. And SAMA actually was sued along with Meta earlier this year because of their really poor um, working conditions. What was the nature of that lawsuit? Yeah. Um, so a man named Daniel Montag came out and said that, you know, a lot of content moderators had experienced PTSD, anxiety, and depression after, you know, having to view um, really explicit images of like rape and dismemberment day after day for hours on end. And a lot of them said that they only earned up to $1.5 an hour. So not only were they being exposed to such violent images, and they were also not being paid adequately. And it was hard for them to kind of speak out against this issue because, you know, this is what they do every day. They don't have access to the the company that is, you know, outsourcing them. They can't reach out to Apple. There's this kind of um, like wall that's put up between the source of the client and then these workers who have to do this work. It's wild to me how these labor relations are kind of repeated throughout history and, and just kind of across America where like, if you work in an office um, and you're part of the face of the company, you get access to employee health care, a bigger mm-hmm. salary, these benefits. Um, but part of your job relies on these AI systems that are completely held up by uh, people in the global South, right? Yeah. That are making shit wages that don't have access to the kind of uh, care that you do and the benefits that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, and correct me if I'm wrong again, but it sounds like if you weren't, if these companies were not able to pay the low, low prices they are by, by employing people in the global South, then these systems would be unprofitable and would cease to function. Yeah. I mean, they rely on these people to have their systems function. They rely on these people so that their development processes can go faster and they can, you know, spin out different tools without actually having to perfect them because they know that, you know, if this AI system actually doesn't recognize certain things, we have these trainers to sort that out for us. And um, like you said, I mean, the power imbalance is really stark. So, for example, the companies that outsource workers like SAMA and iMerit, they're all actually headquartered in the global north. And the people who work at these companies, the administrators, I mean, SAMA, for example, has a you know $19 million kind of revenue, whereas these workers are paid like $8 a day in the global, in the global south. So... Can we drill down just a little bit more on what it's like to be a content moderator at Meta? 
Um, you know, they, they talk about how a lot of it's been shuffled off onto AI, but again, somebody has to approve the original image. What kind of stuff are they sifting through? What, what are the things that you see on the internet that give you PTSD? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these workers have to look at images of dismemberment, rape, murder, um, all these things. And I mean, in a previous podcast, I think we talked about how a lot of these image data sets also include like ISIS executions and, you know, more kind of these images that are extremely violent and not safe for work, but also include these contexts, like we talked about of like ISIS, this, this um, organization that, you know, the AI system can't really pick up. So a lot of these workers have to put in their own um, input and data information. What do we have any idea? And maybe this is maybe a question you don't have the answer to uh, what's the ter- What's the uh, burnout rate on a meta con- on a meta moderator? How often do they quit leave? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know the specific turnout rate for meta um, outsourced workers specifically, but I talked to an expert who said, you know, content moderators as a whole have a turnout turnout over rate of like 70 to 90%. So these workers do not stay. And I think another issue when it comes to, you know, outsourced data labelers and content moderators is that a lot of these companies like Meta and Microsoft like to claim that we're including these people in the global South because we want to include them in the AI pipeline. Like we're making an impact in their community, but then you see, you know, they're not paid very well at all and they don't really have an opportunity for growth. They don't really have that opportunity to, you know, accelerate or go up in the data I mean, in the AI pipeline and have, you know, a bigger role in the development of the AI. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are talking about AI and the mechanical Turks that power it. Um, all right, so this another thing that I think is really important to note here is that often these Turkers kind of have absolutely no power. Um, can you tell me about Turkopticon and the, the 70,000 rejected tasks? Yeah, so Turkopticon is a an amazing organization that is led by Turkers. And it is a forum that allows Turkers to kind of convene about the jobs that they get and about the different companies that request for work. So they can really talk about, you know, if a company isn't treating them fairly, hasn't paid them, um, they can talk about working conditions on this forum. And it's really a good community platform um, to, you know, give voice to these workers that are generally, you know, invisibilized by these companies that request for their work. Um, And so one of the cases that they're currently fighting for is that a company named AI Insights wasn't 
uh, which isn't actually the name of the company, they can't really find the true name of the company, released over 70,000 tasks on Mechanical Turk. Um, and of course, a lot of Turkers were completing these tasks. And once all 70,000 were completed, um, the company AI Insights actually rejected all of the work, which means that they weren't you know, held accountable to paying them. They didn't have to pay them because they claimed that the work wasn't what they needed. Um, and then they promptly quit the platform. But the profile of AI Insights is still on the site, so they could theoretically come back. Um, but a lot of these Turkers have reached out to the company saying, you know, appealing their their rejections and to no response. And they've reached out to Amazon who said, you know, we're not going to get involved between Turkers and the requested company. You have to reach out to them to see what, what you did wrong. So there's this kind of assumption that, you know, like these workers are the ones who didn't do the task correctly and that they shouldn't get paid. Um, and then the work, the company, the requester itself has all the power um, in deciding this. And they get to keep the work, right? Yes, exactly. They get to keep the work. They have all the work received in their inbox and they don't have to delete it or return it. So, yeah, that's that's one of the so somebody can just kind of scam the system if they want to yeah. uh, get Mechanical Turks to do all this work for them, do all this data analysis or or or. AI training or whatever it is, and then say like, eh, you know what, we re- we're going to keep it, but we reject it. We don't think you did a good job and then not pay anybody. Yeah. So the platform itself um, has a lot of flaws built into it in this sense. Like there's a great power imbalance that's built into it. So like we discussed, um, the requesters don't have a, a large threshold for denying work so they can easily deny work. And also in terms of the application process, whereas Turkers have to submit their social security, um, all this personal information to verify that they're actually workers, companies can just build an account. They don't really have to prove that they're a true individual like AI Insights is not even the real company name. They don't know who's behind that. I think it's wild to me that you don't like so much stuff you pay up front in life, right? Mm-hmm. But if you just present yourself yeah. as a company... You can just kind of, you can get work on spec and then disappear. Yeah. And a lot of these experts that I've been talking to um, have said, you know, there's a lot of unpaid labor that, that these workers experience through doing this kind of gig work and whether it's like refreshing the pages to get a new task or like competing to get, to get a task over another Turker, these workers already have inbuilt in their experience, you know, a lot of unpaid hours, a lot of kind of. Um, and then wanting to appeal these rejections is also very time consuming and you might not even probably won't even, you know, get the money in the end. So it's a lot of unpaid labor. It's wild to me that so many of the stories about AI underneath them all, um, it's all a huge amount of human input. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the AI art one is a really start. It was a really interesting example, right? Because yeah. All of those, you know, some fascinating, some grotesque, some just outright ugly AI images that I thought we were done with like a year ago, and now they seem to be cropping back up again. We've got like another run of it, which makes me tired. Um, But it's it's all based on human artists' work. Uh, You know, I started seeing um, some artists online sharing where the artifacts of artist signatures are left behind in the backgrounds of some of these. Um, but 
I know that you've also been working on a story about something called uh, Linsa, which is something that I've, I've, it's one of the kind of things I've been seeing online a lot. And a couple of my personal friends have reached out to me. Like, what is this? Should I do this? Is it okay? What is Linsa exactly? And why is it blown up? Yeah. So Linsa is a um, image editing app that was launched in 2018. But last month, they created this tool called Magic Avatars, where people can upload their images of themselves to the to the app and get these different avatars of themselves. So whether that's them as a fairy princess or them as an oil painting. And I think it has become really popular because people like to see themselves in art. People think, you know, this is a cool, creative way, a deviation of the selfie, you know. And do we know anything about the company behind it? And like, what's the trade-off here? Yeah. So the company behind it is called Prisma Labs. And um, I was reading the terms and conditions of the app. And while, you know, the images that you upload aren't, you know, they're not going to take your identity. They're not going to, you know, do anything like that. But um, they do use your images to train their AI um, system. And they also say that all of the images that you upload or videos can be used to improve or run the Lenza app without compensation. So you really have to think about, you know, do I want my data to be collected and how will my data end up being used by this app? And this is kind of the trade-off of all technology, Mm -hmm. right? Like this is how everything works now that, that if it doesn't cost you anything uh, upfront, you are paying in other ways. (laughs) Your data is being used. Uh, And that's just, I think something to keep in mind. Um, going forward in all of this stuff. Right. Uh, so I wanted to also pick your brain about an AI story that I've been kind of teasing around the edges of, and I don't know if you saw us talking about this maybe in the work slack or not. Uh, but are you familiar with the world of like self published authors and like the, the business around cover design? No, not really. All right. So this is kind of fascinating. Um, So there is a robust world, a profitable world where people make a living um, basically writing fiction and selling it on like Amazon and a couple of the other places usually is digital, digital only some like print on demand stuff. Um, And it's usually like uh, it's usually romance and erotica. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, usually maybe like 10 to 50,000 words. Um, some of it can be written like somebody wants something specific. It'll be kind of written on demand for them. But there's like a whole ecosystem of people that write these stories and people that do all the support stuff for them. So mm-hmm. when you write a story like this, it usually lives and dies by the cover art. Right. I I used to work in a bookstore um, and the romance section was probably the paperback, specifically the pocket paperback romance section was probably the biggest seller and the thing we got the most of constant Mm -hmm. turnover there. Um, And it was, I would say most of the stories are like, are are pretty quick and it's driven by the cover art and it's the Mm -hmm. same way online. And I think, you know, a good cover was going to, is going to cost you around 500 bucks. So, um, there have been some controversies that have been flaring up recently. Uh, can you get, can you guess 
what's going on based on our conversation in that setup? Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing people are using AI image generators to create their book covers and using or like taking deviations of real artists' work to create these covers for low cost. I you know I would have I think I would have a little bit more. I have not seen people doing it for their own books. I think I would respect that a little bit more, right? Because if you're if you're a working artist, um, especially a working artist like this, it does take an intense amount of time. There's a lot of stuff you have to do, and if you're faced with the decision of paying someone five hundred dollars for a nice custom cover or just using an AI generated one, I would understand that. But what what I've been seeing. <laughs> is people who are in the business of selling covers um, using AI. The accusation is using AI-generated images Mm -hmm. uh, and then selling that on to other people for $500. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, and that's like a whole different thing. Uh, And so this week I've been, I was looking around, do you know what Fiverr is? Yeah, I was getting onto Fiverr um, and I was looking at some of the stuff there and there's, it's really funny. There's all of these uh, people who are kind of in this work and making landscapes. And there's this weird progression where like it's good art. And then like, there's suddenly this leap in quality, but like Mm -hmm. things don't look quite right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like the hands are a little strange. If there are hands, like a hand, like parts of fingers will be melting into oh. into legs or uh, things aren't quite right around the eyes. If there's a human in it, like stuff, like there's tells for AI art, art right? Um, and so I've been reaching out, trying to get people to talk to me about this this week. I, I think it's kind of another, I didn't, it's one of those things where um, you don't, I never would have considered it, but then when you see it, I'm like, of course, of course, this is another, another thing. Um, So it was all kind of spurned by a controversy on uh, some of these artists started fighting each other on Facebook Mm -hmm. because somebody posted, it was again, one of these artists that has a a company where they make these romance covers, romance and fantasy covers, and they have a certain kind of art style uh, and it looks all right. And it's, they've got like, uh, do you know what poser is? No, it's, it's a, it's like an artistic tool um, where you can make basic models and kind of dress them up. Uh, And it looked like they were for a while they were using poser uh, and like dressing up models um, and doing like it's, it's, it's work. uh, But everything kind of had that feel to it. And then suddenly there's this weird leap in quality (laughs) and things look very different and it doesn't look like their same style at all. And people started saying like, Hey, what's going on here? Um, And people were getting, it it turned into like a big Facebook drama between uh, like starving artists I just think uh, all that, all of that, all of that to say, like, I don't know where all of this AI start AI art stuff ends up. I don't know where we settle with it, Um, but I do think that it's here to stay, right? Like it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, You know, I know you do a lot more research into all of this than I do. Where do you think we'll end up with all of this? Yeah. I mean, um, you were saying that a lot of these images were being sold on Fiverr. And I mean, I was wondering, like, maybe I wonder if they'll take any action against these images to ban them from the platform, because I mean, Shutterstock and Getty images and a lot of the bigger stock image websites have already banned AI art from their platforms. Um, And 
I also know that there is a site called haveibeentrained.com, which allows artists to um, kind of upload their own images and likenesses to see if their work has been used. So I know there is a growing movement within the artist community to kind of take action against uh, their work being used without permission. Um, And I'm really interested in seeing where this goes. Um, I'm interested, I guess, from the copyright perspective, because I know that there is like fair use, which allows people to kind of use images without permission, without copyright permission. Um, But that's only if they, you know, meet something out of four factors, which is like generally for educational purposes, um, news purposes, things like that, you know, not really for profitable purposes. And I know as of now, there's not really any copyright laws that protect, you know, art from being transformed by AI in particular because it has been so new. Um, But I do think that this is something that, you know, a lot of policymakers and copyright lawyers are really looking into just because, I mean, a, a lot of these AI generators are getting away with a lot. You know, they're able to profit like these book artists are um profit a lot from other people's labor and i think a lot of people are starting to fight against this do you think that the ai art will ever figure out hands get to the place where we can't distinguish it anymore yeah i mean i i definitely think so especially if since it's so popular and they're constantly refining these systems. And also because so many people are participating in things like Lenza uploading their images, you know, they'll have a lot of, a lot of data to work with the more people provide images and data freely. Um, But I also wonder like in terms of copyright protection, if certain images are taken away and removed from the system, like what would that look like? You know, would these systems still operate as well as they do now? I mean, can you even, is there even a a capability to cut it out after it's already been put in? I mean, they would have to start these systems from scratch. So it's really difficult to, you know, say like, I'm deleting this image from the data set because the system has already been trained on that data set. But what would have to happen is that the system would have to just be completely retrained from scratch, which is probably why a lot of developers kind of don't really want to go back and, you know, take, take a look at what they've done or the specific images they've used. All right. I think that's good. I'm going to see us out. I think that was a good note to end on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on to cyber and walking us through this. Where can people find your work? Yeah. So people can find my work on my Twitter and Instagram at Chloe Siang, as well as on the mice website um, under the same name. Perfect. All right, cyber listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We are uh, going live mostly twice a week. Uh, if my camera would stop failing, um, you can catch us at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV and youtube.com forward slash motherboard. You can sign up there to get notifications for when we go live uh, and watch us commercial free and even participate and ask questions. Stay safe out there on the internet. Uh, we're getting close to the holidays. Uh, We may go dark for just a little bit, but we will be back in the new year. Thank you all so much. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.